0: By nature, are sharks aggressive? No, they're not. They're not.
1: So so this is mushrooms growing out of a wasp. I
2: mean, we're just, we're
3: exposed to literally thousands of synthetic chemicals just in our
1: everyday life. My family is normal. I just think, oh, every family is just three people.
0: So if we put hair inside bricks, it will be like insulating your home. Hi. Welcome to Think Sustainability, a show where we look at practical solutions for a better planet. Today on the show...
1: It's better to have, like, these sort of bags because they're more sustainable, they're more, like, and you can, like, wash them again. And, like, it takes ages for plastic bags to break down. Yeah.
0: Making your own reusable shopping bags. You'll hear about an initiative bringing sustainable minds together of all ages and installing solar panels onto apartment complexes. Why it's more complicated than you might think. But first on the show, a bar hire venture is bringing a sustainable ethos to drinking. Called Trollied, they use only locally foraged and organic produce to make cocktails with a conscience producer shane anderson sat down with the founders of trollied at their inner west headquarters to talk about their business over a sustainable gin and tonic
1: my name's by john Wolfring, and i'm uh,
0: christopher glenn
1: thomas
4: who are you both
0: we are trollied yes
4: anyone can be trollied
1: yeah just come and hang out responsibly and sustainably
4: and how long have you been doing this
1: for Been getting trolleyed for four years now. Um, Yeah, started selling uh, lemonade at the markets down in Bondi from the old uh, recycled Anset or upcycled Anset airline trolleys and uh, have developed our business model ever since. We
5: mix the cocktails on and from the airline trolleys
1: using organic, native and
5: foraged ingredients.
4: And where do you get the ingredients from?
1: From the trees around Sydney, from the streets to your treats is the... uh, the phrase. All of the garnishes on the way to the gigs, usually, no different spots. So you go and grab different uh, edible flowers and weeds, and you know, m- both invasive and indigenous. And then for the season, so we hit the Illawarra plum season, the ryeberry season, the midgen berry. So we grab them literally from the streets around Sydney.
4: Where did you learn this botany from? Is it something you've always been interested in?
1: It's been an
5: evolution. When we first started up, we started doing the organic markets, like. Pretty much that lemon stand, lemonade stand kind of dream, and then we like found out about Lemon Myrtle, and uh, we had great mentors along the way, which really helped out. Yeah, uh, Diego Bonetto,
1: the y- weedy one. Yeah, Diego Bonetto
5: is around, like opening your eyes to a realization of how much stuff around
1: you is actually edible and
4: useful. You picked up this leaf before. What, what is it? What is it I'm
5: drinking at so the moment?
1: A, a lemon myrtle leaf sticking in your gin and tonic there. Nice. <laughs> yeah, Aussie
5: gin. There's Archie yeah. Rose in there, isn't it? Mm-hmm. A bit of tastiness. The good local distillers around the corner. We like to support local as much as possible. Like Going along and building up to what we've done, we've found a lot of the big transnational booze companies try to get in there and bully you around and try to get their product all over your thing. But as they, they kind of push out the small independent distilleries and everything, the great little
1: uh, businesses that are opening up.
4: And what kind of events do you guys uh, normally work at?
1: Some's for show and some's for dough. You know, we do all sorts of events depending on what day of the week it is or whatever. We've been cracking into festivals this year, so that's been lots of fun all up and down the coast. And then we like to support lots of gigs that are true to our ethos as well. We sponsor the fun stuff and they're the good ones. And then, yeah, there's the uh, corporate ones that they pay you to do. <laughs> Robin heard the shit out of it.
4: Yeah. Uh, I mean, you said you follow kind of seasonal foraging patterns. So mm. it's, we're in the middle of winter right now. What should I be drinking?
1: Well, Illawarra plums have just finished. We've got, we've got a load of that. So realising the best way to harvest them, to preserve them, and then to prepare them. So with Illawarra plums, because it's a totally different type of fruit, it's a swollen stem of a pine. So it's got a very sappy, kind of so the best way you find is to like, blend it all up and then strain it, and then take that juice. And been doing some great kombucha batches with that juice. What else? Lemon myrtles all year round. The eucalypts are kind of a,
5: an adventurous time to go around this time of year because you don't have as much fruit in winter. You've got citrus, which is obviously the, the best part about winter because there's all the different citruses which are popping up all over the place. But yeah, no, it's a, learning more about the eucalypts is kind of a,
1: an interesting path to go down. It's
4: what can you make out of eucalyptus?
1: Well, we use it in a couple of our different flavours that we put out, like the, so the leaves. You can you can make a tisane from the leaves, and then mix that into your syrups, tinctures, or cordials, or smoking the booze or the cocktail. We use it in a smoking gun, the e gunny eucalypt, or any of them. In the the, the flavour of the the eucalypt smoke really picks up in the alcohol. You can do it that way. You can make mescaline from eucalypts apparently if you uh, juice it down enough.
4: It's a different business venture.
5: <laughs> 3D
1: drinks. Thursday night, hang around. Astro Botanicals.
4: You did say that it's really labour intensive running this business sustainably. I'm wondering how much of your time you actually spend in the garden getting these ingredients.
5: On the way here and on the way there, it's kind of like as you're going around, you'll notice that trees. You, you don't know streets by street names as much anymore. You know by that yeah. trees down there, that Illawarra Plum or that to gonna, that's going to be like right down there soon. You go down and hit it up. So we're kind of tie that into our days and we'll, we'll go around and get a get a big abundance of that we've got, we've got a great connection to some local farmers as well down in the Southern Highlands area and uh, we'll go down there and pick fruit and kind of do and that then once you've part. got it
1: you've got to prep it otherwise it's going to go, it's going to spoil in your fridge. So it was the first year of our season it was like quick we've got to get all these this is, this is, we need these, we need all of these and we got a load and we were really successful but then it's done, then you've got to allocate that same amount of time as the picking to the sorting through it, taking off the stuff, washing it back in it, freezing it, you know, or prepping it on the, prepping it there. So there's big time on, uh, on that side of things as well. And then the next year's and we knew it was like, right, we're going to grab them. And then it's like, don't let any go bad. Yeah. They're my favorite rivalries. I love ribery season.
4: Uh, we're in a we're in a warehouse right now in the inner west are you growing anything around here that you can use
1: At the front in the compost heap there's the some of the stuff sprouting from the seeds uh, like berries and the other wallop plums they're both sprouting up but then when they pop up then we grab them put them in a compost cup and go and chuck them out somewhere in the wild give them to the paper to take with them when you're in an event it's like go plant this gorilla plant it's like we'll help people it's like as mm, big as you look after it making <laughs> it happy you don't have to put it in your garden yeah you put, put the it in someone else's. Like, <laughs> someone else's put it in someone keen
5: like we, we've got the opportunity to go out and speak talk and you get to
1: talk to drunk people at parties when they're more susceptible to taking on informations i mean like when we we've used insects as garnish before for margaritas we did that for a while so then you know it's like come on eat the cricket and it's like no it's like come on we're all going to culturally evolve as a species together here with a bit of booze under a margarita you know it's like where do we get our protein from let's think about this you know people can live sustainably in this uh, post-capitalist society which we're kind mm, of pushing it's towards it's all about the narrative you know we just get take the narrative back
4: Is it fair to say you're changing the narrative one sustainable cocktail at a time? I
1: like that.
0: (laughs) Yeah. Can we use that? (laughs) Trolley run a non market socialist kombucha initiative at their warehouse on Saturdays. It's called Culture Clubbing. Check out 2ser.com for details.
3: What do you do when your job is taken by a robot? Where does all your e waste go? How do you split your digital assets when you break up with your partner? This is Think Digital Futures, each week an exploration of the moral and mind-boggling questions that face us in the digital age. You can listen on your favourite podcast app, just search for Think Digital Futures.
0: You're listening to Think Sustainability on 2SER. I'm Jake Malcolm. How many times have you reached the supermarket checkout and realised you forgot to bring your own bag, so you're forced to use plastic? Plastic. Bringing a reusable bag is easy to forget, but one community group is trying to make you remember, and they're doing that by getting you to make the bag yourself. They're called Boomerang Bags, and they're a group of volunteers who get together and sew reusable shopping bags out of recycled materials, so you can refuse plastic bags at the checkout. Producer Lee Samaglu went to a local sewing bee at Reverse Garbage in Marrickville in Sydney's Inner West to find out more.
3: So, Boomerang Bags is um, essentially just about providing a sustainable alternative to plastic bags. So, communities get together to make the bags out of recycled materials, and then they're distributed in various different ways, whether that's at the supermarket, so that when people have that I forgot my bag moment, there's something there available for them, or they sometimes are just simply handed out at local events or markets, um, just as a tool to start a conversation and get people into the habit of using reusables. This is Jordan DeBoer. She is
2: the co-founder of Boomerang Bags, a collective that started in 2013 with the aim to reduce plastic bag use in her local community in Burley Heads. Jordan would get together with other members of her community and organise sewing bees, where they would cut, sew and screen print reusable bags made out of recycled material so that the community can use these bags up at the local shops instead of using plastic. Since then, Boomerang Bags has spread all around Australia and overseas to New Zealand, Canada and even Iceland, with more and more communities starting their own Boomerang Bag collectives. So how did Boomerang Bags begin and how did it grow to become as widespread as it is? Jordan explains.
3: I was always, I guess, pretty um, passionate about environmentalism um, and I was involved in a lot of cleanup and plastic reduction activities at the time. Um, and then I was introduced to Tanya through a mutual friend because she was also, I guess, on a similar path and pretty passionate about um, solutions to plastic pollution. And um, we just kind of wanted to do a small project within our little community that would tackle plastic bags um, and and I guess tackle it in a way that was reducing it at the source rather than clean up efforts. Um, and yeah, we just we, we started by getting a few friends together and making bags and then that extended into, you know, getting schools and other community mem- members involved um, and it went really well in our local community and then after that um, we got contacted by others around Australia and I guess sort of realised that there was scope to scale it up and um, give other people the tools to be able to implement it locally.
2: Over to Sydney's inner west and the Dulwich Hill Boomerang Bags community only just started a few months back when two locals, Rachel Dunlop and Natasha Doran, decided to do something to reduce plastic bag waste in the small inner city suburb of Dulwich Hill. Here's Natasha from that group.
3: I think the concept of Boomerang Bags started with the idea that it was to introduce the community uh the broader community to just being more aware of their use of plastic bags uh and then that kind of went into well we can make our own bags from fabric that's been donated or uh just offcuts or pillowcases you know reusing fabric that's already out there um to make the the new bags as well so um Yeah, just making people think about the the use of plastic, that was the main driver. Especially for, I mean, not just for the Boomerang Bags community as a whole, but also here in Dulwich Hill, that was our big driver as well.
2: Co-founder Rachel Dunlop
6: explains
2: why they chose the Dulwich Hill community.
3: So the idea is you have hubs,
6: and we've chosen Dulwich Hill because it's kind of quite a small villagey feel, So not many of us live in Dulwich Hill, we're all kind of inner-westies. In fact, we had some people last time from the eastern suburbs come over but we just thought Dulwich Hill's a nice kind of environment and people walk a lot to the shops because the idea is you take the bag away and then you bring it back again and we don't want all the bags just to disappear.
2: One of the most important aspects of Boomerang Bags is the
6: community involvement. Rachel explains. We've got um, some elderly people, some retired people, we've got families coming along, we've got lots of children. The children are particularly interested in in the um, screen printing because our screen printer's a a retired teacher
3: so she's um, great. So yeah or all sorts of people. Original Boomerang Bags founder
2: Jordan agrees.
3: But I think that um, the biggest impact really comes from getting the community together to make the bags and that's what we found as soon as we started. Um, But there was actually so much, so many conversations that were started between, you know, all demographics of the community that were getting together at these sewing bees, you know, everyone from 11 years old through to 85 years old, um, talking about, plastic and talking about, um, you know, their, where they're finding their plastic-free groceries and the local markets and all sorts of other issues that um, weren't just limited to plastic bags, but it extended into all sorts of sustainability issues. And
2: sustainability is a big issue among these communities. I spoke to a group of young girls who were helping out at the Dulwich Hill Boomerang Bag Sewing Bee and asked them why reducing plastic bag use was really important to them. Um, Well, I think that plastic bags, obviously, once they are used, they are usually dropped everywhere, and you won't be able to recycle them. They break, and they fall into gutters, and yeah. they go down into oceans, and they can kill yeah. marines. Yeah, well, like and
1: then the thing, no, no, Sorry, no, the going. thing like more. Of It's better to have, like, these sort of bags because they're more sustainable, they're more, like, and you can, like, wash them again and it's, like, it's more, like, pleasant to sort of use them again as well. And, like, it takes ages for plastic bags to break down. Yeah.
2: Rachel Dunlop says she hopes the group can launch Boomerang Bags Dulwich Hill by the end of the year.
6: I think it's September when we have the Dulwich Hill Fair, so we've got a stall at the Dulwich Hill Fair and we're going to sell some bags there, as well, some different kind of bags, you know bags made out of old jeans and things like that, that's to raise money for the project, but we're hoping that as soon as that's happened and as soon as we've got a thousand bags then we're going to we'll launch it. I've already got businesses who are interested up there to get involved, but we don't want to start and run out of bags (laughs) because i don't think from what i read like the boomerang concept doesn't necessarily work so the bags might go they might not come back but that's all good as long as those people are reusing the bags and taking them when they go shopping and not picking up plastic bags
2: the delish hill boomerang bag collective meet up at reverse garbage on the first saturday of the month for their sewing bee they have a facebook page set up if you'd like to get involved also, if you wanted to start your own boomerang bag group, you can head to boomerangbags.org to find out more info.
0: Liet Samaglu with that story. More and more houses around Sydney are installing solar panels onto their rooftops. But what about apartment dwellers? Strata laws and less owner-occupied apartments are some of the reasons why the solar boom hasn't taken off with apartments. But Bjorn Stormberg from the University of Technology Sydney has some ideas as to how that could change. Bjorn spoke with Leah Samaglu.
2: Why has it been particularly hard for apartments to install solar
7: power over houses? So there are two aspects to that. One is that apartments tend to have a lot of renters in them, and that um, brings into play the split incentive problem where the owner of the property doesn't want to pay for the um, investment in solar panels when all of the um, solar electricity is then going to flow just to the tenant. And then the um, very specific thing about apartments is that even if um, all the owners wanted to get solar, there's still um, complications around who owns the roof and how you go about um, installing solar on a sh- what is in almost all cases, a shared roof. So the roof is the property, is part of the common area of the apartment. So it needs to go through the body corporate or the, the strata committee.
2: How can people, though, that live in apartments install solar power? Is it possible?
7: Yeah, it's absolutely possible. Um, so there are kind of three options. Um, one, which is what we did at Stucco Cooperative over in Newtown, is to convert the whole building into an embedded network where the whole building is pooled into one shared Um, energy customer from the grid, and then you can install solar and share solar kind of behind the whole building's meter. So often you hear solar being referred to as being behind the meter, Mm -hmm. um, rooftop solar at least being behind the meter. What does that that, mean? So that means that you um, are supplying yourself behind the meter. Um, So you um, are replacing um, or displacing some of your local energy demand within your your building um, with the solar that you produce locally. Um, And then in contrast to that, things that are in front of the meter is, say, a solar farm, something that is on the grid side of Mm -hmm. the electricity network rather than being on the local um, home's kind of demand side. Um, And so that's that's one way of doing it. Um, That's not what I would advise most people to do. Um, there are two much more simple and straightforward ways of installing solar in an apartment building. One is that you just install solar um, on the roof, somewhere on the common property, which is the roof, and then use that solar system to supply the common area's load. Mm -hmm. So in an apartment building, that's typically like the lifts, um, communal lighting, you might have a pool, those sorts of things that are the shared amenities of the building. Um, and in that way, the kind of the, the sinking fund or the, the pot of money that belongs to the body corporate gets used to invest in um, the solar system and the returns of the solar electricity that's being produced directly flows to the body corporate as well.
2: How many solar panels would you need um, to be installed just to um, power, say, the common lighting in, a, in an apartment block of, I don't know, say, 12
7: uh, probably not very much. Yeah. Um, yeah. So yeah, it really comes down to the specifics of each building. So that there, the advice is that it really is worth um, getting at least three solar companies to give quotes, or engaging a consulting company to do an assessment on that, um, because it really does come down to what, like, how many lights, when are they on, um, what type of lights. Um, all these sorts of things. And and lighting is generally a relatively poor match for solar because it's um, used more in the evening times than um, in the daytimes. But if you have things that are running all the time, so another example is um, bigger apartment buildings that have car parks often have fans that ventilate the car parks to get the carbon monoxide and other gases out of there. Um, And they'll generally run um, 24-7, although it's another good, that kind of, reminds me that to say that it's always worth doing energy efficiency upgrades before putting in solar. So in that example, it's worth getting fans that only operate when they um, sense that the carbon monoxide levels rise above a certain threshold. That can already reduce your electricity um, usage quite a bit. Um, but the, there's also a third way in which apartments can get solar, uh-huh. which is that they can install um lots of small solar systems so say your example of 12 yeah let's take your example of the the apartment with 12 um units so they probably don't have that much demand in the common area Um, let's assume they don't have lifts and whatnot Um, and then it's probably better to use the solar the roof space that's available installs 12 individual solar systems mm-hmm. and wire each one of those into each of the individual people's units. Um, that way they can then use that power during the day to power their fridge, their kettles, their mm-hmm. laptops, their computers, all the things that are they're using domestically um, can then be covered by the their personal solar system. So you happens s- to just be on the shared roof. Sorry.
2: For something so for something like a two bedroom apartment you could essentially use just one Solar unit how um, what percentage of a household could that could that power
7: it, it sorry for being so um flighty on this it really depends yeah of off, course My on <laughs> your usage pattern so there's there's two and yeah, when I say a solar system, I mean like a a solar not as one one module I mean probably like four modules yep. four panels with that i mean sorry. Something on that order, like one kilowatt to two, three kilowatts, something like that. What I will say is that that, I think the average size of solar installs in um, New South Wales or Australia is, is sitting at around four to five kilowatts these days. And there's a lot of incentives to kind of maximize the amount of solar you can get on your roof. Um, With the way electricity prices are skyrocketing and now, um, to be fair, also in the way in which the feed-in tariffs, which is the amount of money you get for any excess solar that you supply and sell back to the grid, Mm -hmm. that's also um, increased, almost doubling from in New South Wales around $0.06 to now around $0.12 per kilowatt hour. Um, And the fact that we still have um, government rebates in the form of the small uh, technology certificates, STCs, um, and the fact that a lot of the cost of installing a solar system is just getting the installer out there, getting the electrician to wire it all up. Um, that While you're doing this, it really is worth um, going all out and getting solar to cover as much of your sunny roof as possible.
0: Bjorn Stormberg, visiting fellow from the University of Technology, Sydney, speaking to Think Sustainability's Liat Samaglou. Thanks for listening to the show. If you like what you heard today, make sure to subscribe to Think Sustainability on your favourite podcast app. Just search for Think Sustainability. And while you're there, leave us a review. It helps us get discovered. You can also go to our website, 2SER.com, to find out more about the show. This show is a collaboration between the University of Technology Sydney and 2SER Radio. I'm Jake Morecambe. I'll see you next week.